Mark, and I'm here with Crystal. And we're uh, shooting another episode of the Journeys series podcast on Mark for Glory and C Media. This is season two, episode 31. And today our special guest is Jason P. Harris, and he's with Jason's Connection. Is going to tell us all about his journey, uh, growing up with autism, and what he's uh, working on. Hey, Jason. Hey, how's it going? Wow, I don't, I don't think I usually hear myself called Jason T. Harris. I just have it written down. It sounds so. Yeah. It sounds so. Like, maybe you're talking to your mom or something. <laughs> what? Yeah, she no, she would say Jason Philip Harris or so, you know, like you know, the whole name or she wouldn't I guess it's uh, something that you like put your middle initial in so you sound more professional, or you could do like JP Harris so you sound more I mean, professional. Something you'd, have, something you'd have embroidered on your jacket or something. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, especially if you're really a good self-promoter or something. <laughs> so, um, Jason, I was thinking maybe we could start with you talking a bit about, uh, tell us about you, about uh, growing up and stuff like that and what that was like. Yeah, so... Um... I grew up, um, and um, so <laughs> growing up, uh, I started in uh, uh, a traditional school, and then I think by um, like first or second, well, yeah, within the first few years, um, they were sort of like, he seems smart in some ways, but he's not learning in the same way or something. So I got sent to a school for people with learning disabilities and learning disabilities in the US context of the word, not the British context of the word, even though there's, there's interchangeable things about that with like non-specified learning disability, which means that we know there's something wrong with what we consider wrong with you, but we don't know what and how that uh, works. And so, um, I think that, you know, while there was some ways that that maybe gives you strategies in some ways, I think there was also, there's a lot of sort of hidden, you know, sort of structures around ableism and some people dealing with their own situations. And so I sort of got made fun of a lot, which, you know, being sort of socially awkward and uh, some other things. And you sort of got it from, teachers as well whether implicitly or unimplicitly maybe because children or stuff of like you don't know yourself or that's not necessarily your uh you know like you like that's not necessarily how you're supposed to do it or um so i think you sort of get that area of like oh wow i'm not necessarily you know i'm different and weird and other people or um sort of those feelings of being a burden in some ways uh and so um through there um i went to high school i didn't really know too many people so i decided to go to um a school that was like well maybe i can have a community if everybody lives together so like a boarding type school 
when I found one in, uh, in, a, in the Northeast that was supposed to be, I think they called it nonverbal learning disorder. And I asked burgers and I was like, well, this makes sense. It seems like they understand. And then I, I think it was still that hierarchy, but I, I think that was more of like the intake. But then I think there was some of that hierarchy of disability that existed with there of people who like, I'm more normal because I don't take meds. And you had teachers who said people like you don't understand social skills. So while I thought it was going to be an enriching environment, I think it you know, one of those things to where I did learn there was a lot of, you know, autistic people are different in a lot of different ways. And, oh, maybe I'm a person with autism, but I didn't necessarily, I think it's still, I was in still of ruin my experience around sort of a deficit complex of sort of disability. And some of that um, took um, getting, you know, so then when I was around 21, I, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and I was in college and I went to college because that's just what people in my family were doing and so I didn't want to be any different and I sort of didn't exactly know what I wanted and stuff I think that made me reevaluate some of the stuff I wanted and I wanted to learn about things and then um, I took a class I don't know why because I never took night classes called disability culture and equity which maybe it was because I was like oh this is different and that opened up my eye uh, opened up my experiences to the idea of disability studies and disability as something that isn't just what's wrong with you or what is sort of your impairment, but as um, something that's also cultural and, uh, and has sort of its, its own ways that dominant groups who are sort of neurotypical or non-disabled or able-bodied, depending on sort of the terminology people are using in the groups that you're talking about, um, set up society and see things and put it on the individual. And I think in some ways that as you know, that was an empowering beginning to be like, I'm not just a bad person or I'm not just like completely broken or, or um, other you know, sort of the things that sometimes we get taught are like the way that I do things isn't necessarily like as can be productive in some ways or be helpful in some ways. It's about figuring it out. I mean, I think there's still those journeys in that way. Um, from there, I, you know, I took that into, I've always been in this way of people who fit outside of systems, even though they know now the disability, I don't fit into the DD system. And there's like, and there's these really disparate ways, especially because of the way the funding works, but it does. So starting to connect people to resources. And while that had some success in some ways, and even in though the list itself, people more ask individually, I think some of the things that I thought was the most interesting was seeing different people's perspectives and writing about disability and doing that myself and talking about disability and having these disability narratives and stories that we're talking not just about oh this is what you know not just the traditional like overcoming narratives or you know looking at it from the outside but 
what people with disabled people were talking about themselves and talking about it with society. So with that, uh, I did, did that's where Jason's connection sort of evolved. And while doing that, I got my master's from Syracuse in Cultural Foundations of Education and Disability Studies, because it's always, because I, I really, you know, I think it's an interesting, you know, I think we all are, we, we, it's interesting because we're human and people with disabilities are human, but we tend to think of it as inhuman, but I think it gives a lens into ourselves and, and what it means to be human and how it relates to other things and how we think about building structures and stuff. So it always really interests me more about how we think about disability or what we think is or isn't disability or what is accommodation or what is not, you know, all these really like disparate things of like where we tend to make it so separate from everything, but it's a, and how it sort of has become so individualized and sort of the history. So I mean, most of my stuff is a little bit more theoretical, even though I do some stuff with people who are more practical, but I think that that really has been some of my interests too. It, even though there's still stuff I try to have practically figured out in my own life, and sometimes that makes it tough with work and like and figuring out. And sometimes it can get personal. But I mean, what does this mean? And how do we make sure that society is equitable for different groups of people? And and why do we sometimes have these notions of what is or isn't, or how things or how things are set up? So for me, that's always been sort of the interesting thing, seeing whatever disabled people are talking about, seeing how it connects to bigger, to other concepts just around like different movements that are going on now as well. Sorry, that was like a long, like really no, long sentence. You're, it's totally fine now, Jason, and you're doing, doing awesome, and um, no, that's one thing that I know especially people with autism really good at thinking a lot about things thinking deeply but and that's I guess the one kind of um blessing you might say is that you're able to focus in on that thing and it's something that we've we've certainly discussed and mm -hmm. uh you know something that society as a whole needs to consider yeah, it's definitely for me. And I know there's different ways of thinking even among different autistic people, some people, you know, different patterns or what people are interested in. Like, uh, I know that there's a big push for people who are who, autistic people to be coders. And there's a lot of people who are good at coding. I'm terrible at coding in computers. But the way my pattern mind works is a little bit different. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I definitely, you know, try to remind myself and say cognizant of is like what my mind does well too. And I think sometimes, especially with some of the compliance systems and overcoming it, you can, it can get so focused on what you're not able to do or what you need to get better. Right. But there's ways that my mind works really well and ways that sometimes I think, you know, brings different things to the table than maybe other neurotypical or, you know, might bring or, you know, just even with my positionality and experience of being able, you know, I mean, while some of the things like actually executing on stuff take, might take more brain space, thinking through things is a little bit easier sometimes, maybe too easy. Sometimes I probably 
really overdo it and I get stuck in that stage. But I mean, you know, I think it's one of the, you know, one of those things too, where I heard from a therapist I was talking to that our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses. And so, you know, how do you also put people in the best position? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good point, Jason. Um, I also, also think that, uh, you know, given what we're talking about and the fact that we're together, your greatest weaknesses can also be your greatest strengths, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things to where it's more fluid than I think sometimes we think about it is just it's like you either have weaknesses or you know your strengths or you're all good or all bad I think we ten times have a way of simplifying things in a way that's too simplified that it doesn't get into the complexity of the contextual of the things are a little bit more fluid right we discussed the Flaws and in, in the sorry uh, the dominance of the disability world and how people also that are that they kind of put us in a box mm -hmm. and have certain they have a certain thought and stigma about what we are but in, and also on to what you said um. I think they push it aside and try to bury what gifts we do have because our disability, physical, mental, whatever, is it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I thought you were. So I feel like, you know, they, they often um, want. They want to feel good about themselves and don't want to look bad or don't want someone to make them look weird because they have a defended person on their team or whatnot. And it, and they don't want that. They, they don't want that to be that unpopular. They want to fit in and we make them uncomfortable. Yeah, I think there's a couple things with that and I think it's really really interesting and I would agree with that I think sometimes well, one thing is is that any type of organization tends to fit within the peer the person who is the leader tends to sometimes because our brains love shortcuts in some ways gets personalities and things that work with you know people who are tend to be extroverts might more have extroverts on the team we have ways that systems whether implicitly or explicitly put favor towards certain skills and take away favor from other skills and so sometimes when I mean, you can even think about you know in the business world and the idea that everybody's got to be aggressive which is considered a male trait so females might not be considered as good at business but because you either have to be aggressive and then you're unladylike or you have to do it in your own style and then it's not the aggressive style so we, we do set up systems in some ways also 
goes into our anthropocentrism and whether it's within 20th century sciences of looking at the human history or it's whether how in some ways, especially in Western religions, God has put humans above. In some ways, we have rationalized that the way our bodies and minds work makes us exceptional in some ways. And not that we're not exceptional in some ways, but we're sort of above this or sort of special. And so in some ways, I think reidifying what that means, looking at it differently, being able to say this is part of being human and that bodies and minds work differently and that bodies and minds aren't in a constant state. We grow and we also can have times where we regress. I think in some ways, you know, you hear narratives and a lot of this of in some ways disability is uh, the same as death. And I think it's for people feeling like this idea of functioning, there can't be a good quality of life with a disability. And I I think that is a, is a false equivalency in some ways, but I think some of that is based on the narratives that were before were usually driven by people and not that these narratives shouldn't in some ways still be considered because there's differences. Their disability is a like a hodgepodge of different groups you put into this one sort of box, but a lot of it was driven by people who acquired disabilities rather than being born. So, so usually it would be like, wow, it's so tough to lose my sight or, you know, I used to be able to walk. And so something that was, that was, seemed like there wasn't a structural issue only becomes an issue when something and it becomes easy to say well if nobody could if everybody could walk or if we if we would when we didn't look at the design elements that were built beforehand of how to include or how we design sort of things to make sure that it's inclusive for more people but I do think there's that part of it where there is Fear because I think it shows a reality of being alive, which is that things are not necessarily always staying the same. And for people, I think that they, it's because of some of the ways it's been talked about, it's hard to see that people could have quality of life, even though I would argue that people do. And if you talk to people, but we, we tend to get a lot of narratives of the opposite. And I, which I think shapes a lot of people's view that disabilities is in some ways the same as a proverbial death in some ways, which I would disagree with. Uh, but, you know, but there's definitely different things that are hard about it, not because of the disability itself, but because we don't design things within thinking about different ways of being whether it's physical structural designs or uh or educational or ways that we think about making systems right we also talked about social determinants of health which kind of set you know the instance for what you were also what you were just talking about um if if people you know um i just thought that okay um if people um uh, how was i explaining it to you so uh, if if somebody 
sees my disability and puts it in the same category as your disability or his disability, they're 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 just they're cutting. Let me plug over. Sorry. No, you're good. So okay, if somebody were to put my disability in the same category as your disability or Mark's disability, uh, then they're foreseeing, they're not seeing the gifts that we have individually. Yeah, so I think there's they're determining all that too. Yeah, I think that goes, you know, there's so much of, especially with the way that the disability system happens at the change of the 20th, at the beginning of the 20th century and the wanting to be able to diagnose people and sort of this idea of the diagnostic box and that it is these certain traits that define sort of a so-called like what people would say disorder or something and I think that one it, it makes the assumption that it, it it tends to have an overemphasis on something of just what's wrong with somebody and just what is biologically wrong would supposedly be wrong with somebody and it doesn't take into account systems but it doesn't also take into account that people um, have strengths as well and, and as well within those sort of diagnostic tools that that's perceived by what people are thinking as well and that people tend to be more diverse than some of those. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things, especially when you're looking at so many different histories and I think autism or ADHD or, or some of those have interesting histories of the way that it's diagnosed or who it is or even the idea of the prevalence rate is, is based off of a lot of misunderstanding of not like misunderstanding of what it is or trying to understand or not or getting wider definitions and seeing it as more complex because of the way that human beings are complex and the way that their bodies and minds work and so you tend to see even now some of the ways that it's being talked about them it's ever changing but I think that's especially true too i think within groups I mean i you know that we tend to see these as this diagnosis and then somebody has to be the certain way and because people don't necessarily interact with people with disabilities whether it's a no more known disability or not or that they tend to put an amalgamation of sort of a of what the mean is is that like so people are like well you don't look like that what i would think to say like or somebody i know who has a disability or media betrayals that i've seen with that disability Ability. I mean, I know there's, you know, a lot of jokes of sometimes people on the internet of people who are blind looking at their phone and they're not really blind, which goes into a whole other thing of people with disabilities is, be, is that people are scamming and pretending to be the, disabled to get some benefit, but which has its own sort of thing, but also doesn't recognize that blindness doesn't necessarily mean 100% blindness and there's nuance within that. And I think we tend to, with these medical diagnostic boxes, while there's some purpose to it we tend to overextend it and it becomes more of a you know it tends to let us not see the individuality or the diversity within groups 
Yeah, that's a very good point that um, the, sometimes even in the doctor's office, diagnosis often gets uh, blurred. Like they, all, they also give you a prognosis, which may be true, but based on their level of understanding. So just because someone has certain disorder, doesn't mean that the doctor has the right to like all of a sudden write your features. Yeah, I think that's one of the toughest things is we tend to, from an early age, tell people, oh, you're going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. And we set systems around. And I think it can be that can bring in a lot of things for the families, but especially for the person themselves of you of like, wow, I'm not going to be able to do this or I'm different. And, you know, even if they're not able to do it or you're different, if you're living, you know, I mean, there's different ways of being. That doesn't mean that it's less than. It's just your own way of being. And I think sometimes we think that there's one way to do things or there's one way to be independent or there's one way to bring meaning to society. And we tend to see other people as users or, you know, and we tend to, I mean, even we tend to put groups to completely together. And I think some of that is reassessing what that means. And, you know, I know, you know, I do work with adults and a lot of, I think some of the stuff that I'm trying to work with adults is not necessarily, I mean, it's understanding them and the way they work, but also trying to rewrite past traumas of people seeing you as unable to, or your contributions are good enough, or you shouldn't speak up. You just do it the way I'm telling you to. And so uh, I think the ideas uh, of this is, you know, we're creating self-fulfilling prophecies because we keep doing this over and over again. And we keep telling, I mean, that's a lot of my battles right now is like, there's certain ways that I'm always going to need support in some ways. And I still want to be independent, but I have these internal conflicts because of all the stuff that was told to me in the past of you're not going to be able to do this, or you're not going to be normal, or you're not social in the right way. Or, and I think that stuff tends to continue on and we still don't always have systems to make sure. I mean, are there things that I definitely need support with or things that like my anxiety, would it be better not to be as anxious? Yeah. And I would like some, you know, more support around that, but I don't think I need to fix the way my brain is. And I think, you know, even from other people in the community, like the chronic pain may be more difficult, but not necessarily being a wheelchair user or doing something different. I mean, there's, I mean, I guess it's, you know, how do we have a better system that works with people with disabilities and the things that, you know, are their strong suits and things they want to do and that it's okay that if it's the way you do things is different or the way your life will get different. But then also if there are some things, because we all have health issues or we all have, you know, things and we can work with people, but that's not treating disability. That's treating a specific thing. I mean, you can't fix being autistic or you can't fix being ADHD. You learn to live with, you live with who you are and you accept who you are and your work with your brain. And maybe there's some things that I can do to work on specific things like anxiety or, you know, or, but those are, but those are specific things rather than just the identity labels of who I am. Yeah. I, uh, sorry. You go ahead. So I'm 
Um, I was just going to say when you were talking about um, the negative uh, connotation that it, especially if we're from young age have a disability um, or acquire a disability, our, our parents are often subjected to what doctors tell them what you're gonna be able to do. And so that kind of take away from the doctor and kind of treat you the same way and that you're not gonna, you probably won't accomplish this or you may accomplish this, who knows? But I I think they wonder, the parents, of course, most of them want to be optimistic, you know, but at the same time, they're kind of weary of, what they they they're not going to put too much on the disabled person yeah so, there's this whole bad stigma from that yeah. and i think we put so much on the individuals and their families and and so then families get worried and you know i think there's a lot of times that as people get older what's going to happen to my family member and i don't think we have the most supportive or understanding systems or ways that we have it to support people to be able to feel like that there is support networks, whether it's paid supports, whether it's natural supports in some ways. I think we tend to sort of put stuff in isolation and we have some of these groups. And while it's definitely great to have, it's good to have groups of people with disabilities organizing things and have it and have non-disabled people sometimes as allies or doing some of the things. I think we also need to make sure that we're not just relying on individuals, that we're having a society that uh, accommodates not people with disabilities, but also a lot of different people. I mean, I see that, you know, I mean, one of my big things is trying to meet people and get out and I have social anxiety, but I think there's a lot of people who are trying to get out and meet people and stuff, especially as people are moving more. How do we build systems that are in some ways universally designed to make sure that the that that we can have a system that is has the ability to have a lot of people who are able to interface with it, but it's changeable enough to where it's not up to the person to be, then be fixated and be able to fix themselves to be in the systems. We have flexible enough systems that can accommodate people. And because I think so much of this too is as societies and human beings, we, we really are communal species in so many ways. And sometimes I think, especially in the West, especially in North America, we have this idea of individualism. And while we don't want to forget individualism in some ways, and disability rights is in some ways based on individualism, we also want to make sure that our individualism is also going with communalism and communities that are also supportive and stuff because, you know, I can learn all the skills and stuff to be completely independent, but I might not be able to do all the stuff that I want to be able to do if I'm only focused on being independent, because in some ways we all need other people to some extent, because otherwise we would be too, we would have to be too general and we couldn't focus on specific things. We would all have to do everything. And me 
mean, part of it is, is as much as we want to say body or mind wise, we are amazing and can do everything. Our bodies and our minds always have limits, whether we're disabled or we're not disabled. There's only so much you can do. Right. It's, it's all about balance, right? You mm -hmm. have to be able to uh, be a community and then go off and just do our own thing when it's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think balance is so important. And I think, you know, I think it's one of the tougher things because people see it as either individual, like individuality or like, com like communism. And I think it's like, how do you have individualism within a sort of society to where we're not dictating to people what to do, but we're also working together in some ways. And I think that that's, you know, where the disability, you know, I mean, there's a lot of you know, too, I mean, as, as people with disabilities are online and stuff, there's been so much community building and being able to learn from each other. And I would hope that some of that community could also go in to inform some of the practices that are going in society. Unfortunately, I think that society is still not always including people with disabilities as a part of diversity. And I think that's a, a shame. It's still sort of seen as individualized. But I think there's a lot of experiences of being able to do that with examples of curb cuts or universal design for learning that shows that when we think about how different bodies and minds move throughout spaces, we can be better to make sure it works for a number of people. Yeah, I think uh, one of the, well, probably the biggest problem is that people who are in power to make decisions like we're not all on the same playing field in that usually people in power who are making these calls are selfish or greedy or egotistical. So all the decisions they're making about our futures, our collective futures are coming from that frame of reference. Yeah, well, and I think sometimes we see groups, especially groups who've been marginalized, see it as sort of a thing. So sometimes you get parents and they want to make sure the parents' perspective is, is included, which is important. But then you want to make sure that people with disabilities' perspectives, and then sometimes, you know, it can get like, well, we got to make sure, they understandably, that it's people with disabilities within different racial contexts, and then, and then sometimes with different disabilities within. So then sometimes there can be hierarchies even within groups that don't have power of who gets to say what and who gets to have control over narratives and it can be really complex and then some of it is how do you work together towards a common goal while still being able to understand that there's individual pieces or there groups there's subgroups within groups and and then how to work together because I think sometimes those groups also work because they're able to have some that's people in the sphere of influence sort of have a semi -united, a more united front than the groups who are asking who are still trying to figure out how to work through the different power dynamics of trying to make things more equitable. Um, a, a question I had, sorry. No, um, it's okay. A question I had was um, about, okay, so I understand there obviously has to be, you know, have, hierarchy if you will you know where some people need to be in charge of the country or the planet whatever uh, I get that 
But if the majority of their people are not on the same playing field, if they're seen as lower than, but it's because you were having issues. Yes, right there. Sorry. There's some flies hanging out the door, and now there's like flies. <laughs> Um, okay, so if there's a dynamic where there are people in charge, of course that needs to happen. But that also means is that the majority of the people that they're above are not on the same playing field. Some people have more privilege and access to things. And some don't, but we have to be at the bottom of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I think there's, you know, we should be, it, it's tough because there, I don't even know if there should necessarily, I mean, even the person in charge or the charge of everything, we need to make sure that there's, that everybody's part, has ways to participate in systems in some ways, whether, you know, and I think, you know, we tend to see a, a lack of people with disabilities on committees and councils or, you know, for people, for things around people with disabilities or other sort of design things, if they're going to be, you know, our community councils or other things we want to, you know, people with disabilities, you know, you know, hopefully there's been more efforts to have people run for office and be able to in some way. So being able to open up equity of being able to have chances to interface or dialogue or be able to build those groups and for groups to work with each other, I think is really, really important for that it's not just one group of people are saying, or even just having one person and okay, we have a person with disability on our council so they can represent everybody who is, I think we have to make sure that we're making things more reflective of the society we live in and that we're making sure that people have opportunities who have and always had those chances to have opportunities within being qualified to be able to make sure that systems are better, that things are working more for people. I think there's a lot of times where we just want to get it in and oh, there's a few select people in the room and then people are making decisions for people, whether it's on the, you know, and that happens individually, but it especially happens at government level or nonprofit levels or some other things. And I think that can be in itself problematic because a lot of bad systems are done when you do things for people without their input on how things are going to work or what is going to be helpful. And so I think making sure that we're mindful of who's in the room and who's not in the room and what sort of and making sure that people have the opportunity to take up positions and stuff with or without supports that are needed because I I think sometimes some of the barriers, even within different groups, oh, it's too hard to accommodate. It's too hard to make sure. Well, if we want to make sure things are done right and well, which, you know, some people would argue, well, they don't want that or, you know, but if, we, if we're under the presumption, then we got to make sure that we're doing things in the best way. And, and if it doesn't, if we're not doing it, even if you don't necessarily want that, then it costs more in the long run because you 
spend more money on an inefficient system that isn't actually helping people, that isn't actually getting anything done. And then you're sort of sort of spinning your wheels, per se, or or walking in place or treading water. Right. Um, so that uh, brings up another question that we, or topic that we talked about, um, the whole sort of financial system and the way disability is set up in that, you know, um, they're going, whatever government system is going to give you, uh, give you X amount of money, they're going to put a cap on it so you can only get so much and you can only pay for stuff they approve. And essentially, if there's stuff that you need that's not on their list, you're gonna have to pay for it out of pocket and that ends up leaving disabled people sort of holding the bag as it were, because now they have to pay out of pocket from the limited uh, income they're getting from the government and they can't find a job, a normal job, because no one's gonna hire them because they just look at them and see they're disabled and forget it. <laughs> yeah. Door. Well, and even if you have a job, sometimes depending on the things, you have so much limits you can make to actually keep Medicaid, which is one of the only things that does durable medical equipment. Yeah, I think that's one of the toughest things is that like, the way that the systems are sort of set up are antiquated and that it didn't assume that people with disabilities would work. That's still why you have 14C and sub-minimum wage workshops is because who would hire certain people of groups with disabilities unless you give them less than the minimum wage? And, and those are, I mean, there's still debates around that, even though there's becoming less of a debate, it seems like those are gonna be, you know, they're becoming more and more phased out, even though there are people who are still hanging on to those, but it sort of is a double-edged sword. And it's one of the interesting things too, is there's a lot of ways that, you know, I think there's, a, you know, where we are, there's a Department of Developmental Disabilities, which each state has, and those go into certain groups of people and what sort of needs they have. And so they put funds towards that, but then there's the group, diverse group of people who are on Medicaid, but not on the developmental disability side, or there's people who are self-paying because they're not disabled enough or they were diagnosed later and there's not written you know there's the way that the service the, the support system works even if they could access service or they could private pay doesn't necessarily mean it's going to help you because we have a certain group of people because with any sort of thing and then and with the money being funded and it goes into a bell curve of who gets services and the service systems acclimated to fit within the means of the bell curve and so people on the outside of the bell curve are sort of left with Sorry, that doesn't really fit within you all with the way you do this. And I think that affects, you know,
know, one being able to have a job and stuff, but there's a lot of people who want to have a job and could also potentially get hired, but then don't have jobs because it would cut benefits. And it's like, well, if that's the only way that you can get support services, whether it's in the house, whether it's medical equipment, it, it sort of decentivizes working for it. And I know there was these workforce requirements and in theory, that sounds really well, unless if you don't know, unless it, it, but in actuality, it makes no sense because that's not why people don't want to work or that they're not working. And so I think you that's too where, you know, I mean, how do we make it so that systems are better for people and better for people who with different range of support needs with different ways of looking for support. And I get that the agencies or the things have to be able to somewhat make money, but I feel like there's enough people to be able to do that with and without disabilities. But sometimes we also have systems that are like, this is just a disability system. And some of that is because I want to earmark and stuff, but how do we open up some of this stuff? And I mean, I don't necessarily know. I sound like I'm complaining, but I think it's also important because I think the more that two were able to show like, hey, you can have a disability and you can use this service and there's other people without disabilities there. I think we sometimes put this sort of separation and categorization things that goes back in way into history, even before 20th century or 19th century, where we just put certain people away or we we're like, you don't deserve, I mean, so, but yeah, sorry, that was sort of a tangent but it is really like it's weird it's interesting the way things are set up and sort of you can see sort of the if you look in sort of the thread lines of sort of the different ways of different how even as they're trying to fix the systems to be more towards self-determination or more towards people having the choice of making it there's still those historic remnants of some of those things intentional or unintentional because they're building off old systems and it can be complex to take that out while still having it to where you completely have this way, way a system works. I mean, which would be interesting, you know, if there was an idea of Medicare for all or long-term support services or other things that other countries do, if there's ways to be able to. And it seems like, you know, when there's in Nordic countries or other things, there, there have been some ways of sort of making it sort of more open in some ways, but it would be interesting. I know the argument against that is the population size. I don't know how that would, would work or or I think the big thing in the United States is that there's not, there's only national standards, but then each state makes its own choices. So what Ohio does is different than what Kentucky does, which is different than what California does. They just have base standards and then they make their own rules, which has some advantages to it, but also has some disadvantages. Well, a different dynamic of that is that different people that don't have disabilities or um, they see that we're getting a free ride and they want to take advantage of that. <laughs> And so it makes people that have actual disabilities or worse disabilities look bad because they 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 want a piece of that pie. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's interesting because is it about the funding? Because there's some things like if you look at like classrooms, when you have universal design for learning, where you I mean in some ways, if you have it to where instead of having to ask for an accommodation and then you have to go to an accommodation class, every accommodation is open to every person. And and so what, and then and I mean, and some of those are a little bit tougher than others, but there's ways to, you know, like screen readers and stuff, but most, you know, but then, but, or, but there's ways to make it so you could have it to where the blackboard does it and stuff or other things. Then, then in some ways that takes it. So there's sort of an equality to it that people get what they need and are able to ask what they need. Now, I know some of that is about funding and how things get funded. And some people see that as, you, you as um sort of different ways of like oh I have money to do stuff I think it's a little bit more complex with that because some of that money is so like tied to what it can or can't be used for and uh, I think it's a little bit difficult for what it is I think it's also one of those things to where I know there can be a disability hierarchy of who has the most or there can be sort of this idea of who has the most oppression and stuff um I I get that and I think it's important to recognize different positionalities and different ways that things work but there's also double-edged swords to a lot of things like there's there's good things and tough things about having visibly disabled there's tough things and advantages to being the to being disabled in a way that's invisible. I think that we, we tend to see who has it better, or who has it easier. And I think that recognizing that everybody has their own challenges throughout going through these systems and everybody has some benefits in some ways of doing that. Hopefully we can try to find ways of systems that open things up for people and the most amount and for different groups of people instead of saying who gets this or who doesn't because I think hopefully the idea would be that it benefits you and it benefits other people in society right yeah I know that's more complex than what I'm saying and there's a lot of what being human is but um yeah the the reality that I guess no one wants to look at in depth is that if you help people with disabilities, you help all of society. And because they're not going to be overburdening the system because they're being taken care of, given the support, we're being given the support that we need to do the best that we can. Therefore, we're not going to be uh you know looking for all this stuff like all this extra help that that maybe um you know like as far as health goes and whatever because we're happier we're less anxious we're less stressed and less likely to get sick you know yeah like that. 
But I think there's also ways that it, it's not just, oh, we're making sure. I mean, I think that's a good point. And it, it's helping people with disabilities. It's making sure that people are getting what they want, which means that there's less tax on the system. I think it's also that there's a lot of technology. There's a number of things in technology, like using Siri or, or, or audio books that come from, okay, maybe there's so different way that somebody needs to do something to be able to. And then it can benefit other groups of people people as well, because for all of us, our bodies and minds only have so much they can do at one period of time or over time, or there's ways that things work better for some things. And so, you know, it also brings this idea of disability and not disability isn't as like this is, you know, I think we tend to in the past and the way that we thought about it is, you know, whether it was within, you know, a more religious or, you know, even you look at like Eastern society of this is somebody cursed or this is something that is against God or this is some way or in the scientific way this is somebody who's less human or goes against it It, it's in some way saying that I think some of accepting our human reality is while we all have these amazing abilities whether we have a disability or not we all also have limitations in some ways And, and being open to that and that that we can, to make sure that we're designing things that don't necessarily put undue stress on groups of people can also put less stress on us to be able to make it so things are more accessible. I mean, you know, being able to talk to something instead of write it, how much, you know, I know that's helpful for me. It's using Alexa. How many people use that as a natural thing? I mean, at one point, there, there's a few, there's two good, there's something, I mean, it's always interesting because disability isn't considered a wearing glasses isn't considered a disability unless it's a really highly prescription glasses and there's a reason because it's become more accepted in some ways as societally as that's just something that we use using a chair for an office there's something that says we have to have chairs there's no biological rule that says we need to have chairs in offices or that we need to you know sleep a certain way or that we have different tools that help us cut stuff we've made it to somewhat make things easier to put some of the cognitive burden or that there's no way we need to have a computer or be able to do stuff outside our brains instead of keeping everything in. We, we also see that the way that things are designed and that they're designed for people I believe in the um, and like with when NA when when the British system of uh, with of their healthcare system started, they have like one pair of glasses that people are allowed to, and people wouldn't wear the glasses. And some of that is is how do you design something to make it feel like it fits somebody's personality and doesn't just feel like it's something that is, you know, like this medical device. And we tend to for people who are in marginalized groups, oh, okay, here's this specialized housing, and maybe it looks good at the beginning. But then we don't upkeep it or we make it these specialized looking sort of things or so how do we make it so that things while we recognize people's uniqueness and accept it we're also not like denormalizing people in some ways as well because I don't think anybody wants to be like okay well I have to be normal but I also don't want to be seen as less than so how, how do we sort of design in that sort of element as well in some sense and make it so that like, you know, that something like using an assistive device or needing to do something isn't as big a deal. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think some of the toughest parts of is like to get any type of service, to get any type of support, to be like asked for anything as an autistic person or anybody with a disability. It feels like you're just is like this huge big thing that becomes. And I think that can be one of the toughest things where if you just have, but there's ways that we've even seen within things that have started off as accessibility devices to where if it's just sort of not that it's not recognized or that there's not ways that we're supporting people or that we don't we don't necessarily do it but it's also not this like huge thing of like but it can be appreciated in some ways too it's a as unique I mean sorry I know I'm rambling so I don't know if any of this makes any sense but no it's fine it's good it's we're just uh, talking it out here and, and you know it's good to talk about these things from every possible angle we can maybe it'll help us get some perspective or help somebody else through something. Uh, Chris, do you have uh, there any other? Uh... Goodness. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think you've borrowed a lot of stuff that for people to talk yeah. about. I know there's so many things, and I know that there's not necessarily like one simple answer to it but I don't think it's as sometimes as complex as we make it either it, I mean if that makes sense yeah that that makes real sense <laughs> um so one uh one more question I did have so how are you uh, utilizing Jason's connection to sort of address some of these issues? So with Jason's connection, I think the big thing that we try to do is we try to mean there's no ways to be able to sort of have a platform to discuss it, to hear from other people, to think about it in certain ways. I think that there's no one simple solution, but I think a lot of this stuff hasn't always been talked about or thought about or discussed within people. I think it's to build identity and pride and that this in some ways, but also bring some of this out and have these discussions and be able to start to think about what this means or what it could look like and how to start thinking, you know, about designing systems or thinking about you know what it means or how sort of the history of it I mean I mean it's probably it's really about having information and informing people and discussions rather than saying this is the way you do it or this is the way it should be done or you know because I, I think that that can you know while we want solutions i think solutions come from being able to talk to each other and being able to think uh, about the bigger things or if it's a specific thing with a person and being able to see what the specific things are and there's no one size fits all but there's but maybe there's ways to make sure that we have you know, we're making sure that systems are more inclusive of people so that it doesn't have to be that you fit in and being able to think about navigating some of those things. Sorry, that's probably still a roundabout answer. That's, that's great. So 
Yeah, uh, basically it's about trying to connect people uh, so they can start to build a discussion and that's where it starts, right? Discussing things. Yeah. Relationships and relationships and maybe who knows what you can accomplish then. Yeah, and I think, you know, for my own personal experience and stuff, there's a lot of advocates who have grown up living and knowing disability rights and justice and some of these things. I think there's a number of people who haven't grown up with it and who are learning it, and I'm still continuing to learn it as I get older. So being able to sort of introduce people to some of this stuff or have some of these things that maybe haven't always been talked about or you have just been assumed of, oh, this is the way we do things or this is just the way it's always been or, you know, gives people, you know, the power to feel like they can learn about it. They're not alone, that there's others out there and that there's, you, you know, and that there's ways to be a part of this as well hopefully that is, uh, you know, brings it so that people feel that they're empowered to be able to do some of this as well. Not that we're, we're not supportive, but, you know, I don't want to tell people this is how you should think or this is what you should do. I just, hopefully we're giving people the ideas that these things do exist because, I mean, I don't know if I wasn't taking that class, would I ever have learned this or, or when would I have learned it or. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, thanks, Jason, for putting together this community and uh, uh, starting people on that path. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, before we let you go here, I wanted to, uh, or we wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe share uh, any future projects you're working on or stuff you have uh, that you'd like to accomplish with Jason's connection? So, um, you know, one, I want to thank you for the stuff you're doing. And I think it's important that people with disabled people and people with disabilities are able to hear from other people and be able to talk to each other. I know it's really empowering to be able to have that and to be able to. So the platform you're doing, and it sounds amazing that it's our the second season with 31 episodes. Um, for me, you know, I continue, I work um, with Jason's Connection and I do a few other things. So, you know, continuing to advocate and stuff. And then my hope is to write a book about some of the bigger sort of things about, you know, why disability is part of every, is part of the world and the world we live in. And that, you know, this idea of eliminating disability is probably not, we would probably take away a lot of what society and humanity is in some ways and sort of tracing some of that stuff is hopefully another way to, you know, introduce people. And also, you know, I think there's so many people 
without disabilities who want to do good things, but they don't know about disability history, disability rights, and it seems sort of out there, out of what you you know normally gets talked about. Even though luckily it's getting more and more talked about outside of just disability spaces, which is good too, you know, in a way that is. But you know, hoping to be able to have that. Uh, sorry, I know I can't say anything really quick. Sorry, my brain's a little bit, but. Um, you know, I think my next big thing is really being able to write that book. Um, and hopefully that's another avenue of being able to open up some of this message. Well, that's awesome. You definitely have a lot of input to say about it. And you're in a position where you have lots of people around you to be of support and to be a sounding board. And mm -hmm. to get bring up ideas for you to put in your book too. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. I just got to make sure I, you know, writing a book is a big process, and you know, yeah. I definitely. It can seem daunting and overwhelming, you know, just to think about starting it. Yeah. yeah. No, but that you know. No, I mean, what about you? But I mean, I know you, I mean, is this mostly uh, the podcast? Or are you doing other stuff as well? Or Well, uh, we're working on other stuff, though it isn't announced yet. Right. Um, but we did, like I told you before, we, I think we, so we have the journeys, which uh, it highlights uh, individuals that are doing things in the disability community and people also that um, are helping people with disabilities mm -hmm. to, to be highlighted. So, and then we also have uh, Under the Surface, which is kind of what we were just discussing, which is kind of a sound more round table kind of thing. Yeah. They can bounce off of each other, you know, ideas and topics. And so, yeah, we have lots of things going on. Yeah, that's awesome. But right now, we're we're fairly small. It's just myself and Crystal, but we're, you know, we have lots of ideas that we're just working on. Slow and steady wins the race, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but and. Uh, We'd like to thank you, Jason, for taking the time to speak with us today. It was certainly a pleasure. And uh, um, yeah, have yourself a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's good to see you again. Yeah, too.